Good evening, you are listening to The Truth Tank and I am your host, The Tank. This is episode 44 of The Truth Tank. If this is your first time listening, a big welcome and if you're a repeat listener, welcome back. We're going to be doing something a little different tonight. We're going to be having a look at the Indiana Jones 5, the Dial of Destiny trailer. Like a lot of you, I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. It's one of my favorite movie franchises. Harrison Ford is my favorite actor. I spent a majority of my childhood watching Indiana Jones and Star Wars and other Harrison Ford films. I used to dress up like Indiana Jones and go running around the house and jumping off of beds, throwing myself off of whatever object I could find, pretending I was Indiana Jones. And when I got older and got a bit of money, I brought a replica Indiana Jones costume, complete with real leather jacket. I'm looking at getting the Indiana Jones boots next to complete the costume. Might even go to a Comic-Con and dress as Indy. I've always wanted to do that, but I've always chickened out at the last minute. It's either too hot to dress in leather. And all my heroes like Indiana Jones, the Terminator, and Mad Max all wear a lot of leather. Leather pants on a hot day, in the heat, not very nice. Jacket you can kind of get away with depending on what kind of leather it is. The jacket I got is a lambskin jacket, which is the same as what Harrison Ford wore in Indiana Jones. Mine is the Last Crusade jacket. It's a thinner, softer leather. It holds up a bit better in the heat than horse or cowhide. But anyway, I'm rambling. The Indiana Jones 5 trailer was released a few days ago at the time of this recording. And like a lot of you, I was pretty excited to see it. It's been a long time coming. I've seen the behind the scenes photos, but not much more than that. So to finally have a trailer and a title for the film was pretty cool. That's until you remember who's behind it, who's producing the film, and the mega corporation writing the checks. The trailer looked pretty good. The action was decent. Harrison Ford's back. But I've got a lot of questions about Indy 5, most notably the name of the Dollar Destiny. So we're going to be having a look at Indy 5 and a few other things that factor into modern day Hollywood sequels, specifically ones that are made decades after the original came out, such as modern audiences, politics and entertainment, and a lot more. So let's not waste any more time, let's get straight into tonight's episode. This is episode 44 of The Truth Tank, Indiana Jones 5, and The Dial of Disney. When I first saw the Indy 5 trailer, I was overcome by excitement. I'm looking forward to the fifth installment of Indiana Jones. I mean, like I said in the intro, I love Indiana Jones. It's one of my favorite franchises. He's pretty much my favorite movie character of all time. Harrison Ford's my favorite actor. He has been ever since I was a kid and I started watching movies. He's played two of my favorite characters, Indiana Jones and Han Solo. So how can I be anything but excited when the Indiana Jones 5 trailer finally arrived? It looked pretty good, the action looks decent, but I have a lot of questions. So first up, the writers of Indy 5 seem to be pretty good. I thought the Kazdans were supposed to write it, like the Solo spin-off, but I'm guessing they must have pulled out. 
which is probably a good thing because that movie wasn't fantastic. It was frozen pizza. It was okay, but it wasn't anything special. The Kasdans have become very identity politics focused in their writing lately. I mean, Lawrence Kasdan obviously produced the original Star Wars trilogy with George Lucas. He also helped him write it. This guy's written and directed Wyatt Earp and a whole bunch of other quite acclaimed films of the late 80s and 90s. And then there is the director of Indy 5, James Magnagold. I mean, James Magnagold is a fantastic director. I mean, his films are a cut above the standard Hollywood fare these days. If I see his name attached to a film, it's going to be of a certain standard. His most recent film, a couple of years ago, Ford vs. Ferrari, was a great movie. Good directing, good writing, good acting. He's made movies like Logan, Wolverine, Copland, 310 to Yuma, Night and Day, Walk the Line, Girl Interrupted. So he's made some pretty he's made some pretty good films. They're very diverse in their tone. I don't think any two of them are really the same. He definitely knows how to tell a good story and put a unique take on it. So I was pretty optimistic when I heard he was directing it. Just when you get a little bit of hope, when there's a good director attached to a film you're looking forward to, then you remember the mega corporation behind it. In this case, it's that evil, tyrannical mouse, Disney. One thing that really did piss me off when the rumors started going around that there was another Indiana Jones film on the way was all the comments about Harrison Ford's age. I mean, yes, he is older than he was in the original trilogy. Unfortunately, that is the aging process. It happens to humans and everything else on the planet. There's not much you can do to get around it unless you want to fill your face and ass full of Botox. Like most of the Hollywood socialites. There is no Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford. Full stop. No returns. There is no Indy without him. Indiana Jones is as much Harrison Ford as Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. And Han Solo for that matter. So if they do a younger Indiana Jones TV show or film that replaces Harrison Ford like they do with Solo, it's destined to fail. There is just something about Harrison Ford playing those two characters. I think he puts a lot of his own personality and a lot of his own idiosyncratic traits on those characters that make them very hard to replicate, the same as a lot of iconic characters over the years. You couldn't picture anyone else playing the Terminator but Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, it's different now. He, I think Arnold probably should have stayed out of the last couple of Terminator films. I don't think it was that necessary to have him as the Terminator. It's more of a physical role. Obviously, the Terminator relies on his physical size, and he's not 120 kilos anymore, or a competition bodybuilder, which was half of the uniqueness of the original T-800 in the first few Terminator films. Even in Terminator 2, he's not as not as big, but that film still works because it's he was still of a certain size, so you could still believe that there's a machine hiding underneath a human exterior. And I think it's more noticeable with Arnold because he was so big in the first few Terminator films, most notably number one. That was more obvious in the later films like Terminator 3 and Terminator Genesis and Terminator of Terminator Dawn of Fate. Especially in Terminator Dawn of Fate, it just seemed very unnecessary and it was felt very forced that they had to bring him out to try to sell the film and that film is fucking horrific as it is. 
even bringing Linda Hamilton back to that Femfest of a Terminator film. It was, it was a fucking appallingly written and directed. The director went on a tirade when he got some criticism online for comments he had made. It didn't go well for him or the film. That film fucking sucked. It started off okay, like the first 20 minutes. I could kind of buy the bullshit they were trying to sell and it loses the plot pretty quickly after that. It's fucking corny and full of, like most movies that are made today, it's full of identity politics. And I don't need to be lectured on identity politics when I go see a Terminator film. I want to see a big jacked up foreigner blowing people away. Preferably with a good story attached. So there's no indie without Harrison Ford. And despite all the criticism he has copped about his age, he still looks fucking great for an 80-year-old. I hope I look half as good at that age. He's probably fitter than a lot of 40-year-olds you see around, and he's definitely fitter than half the men in Hollywood, young or old. I don't know too many 80-year-olds or 60-year-olds or 50-year-olds, for that matter, that have the kind of physique that he does. He's pretty lean, and he's got a lot of muscle. He's looking pretty good for his age. And if he wants to do another Indiana Jones film, you fucking let him. If anyone has a problem with an older Indiana Jones, then they're just not a true Indiana Jones fan. The other big concern with Indy 5 is there's no George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. Indiana Jones is Lucas's creation. All four of the previous films have been directed by Steven Spielberg. These two know the character inside out. Say what you will about Spielberg, he is among the best directors that has ever lived. He knows how to make a film in his sleep. Same goes for Lucas. He might not be the strongest director or writer around, but the guy can tell a story. He is better than anyone else at coming up with iconic characters and stories and universes. Obviously, I mean, he created Star Wars. He created that whole universe, and it's still being made nearly 50 years after it originally came out. And that leads us into the real problem. Disney and Kathleen Kennedy. With the sale of Lucasfilm several years ago, I think it was about 2013, it was sold. Or earlier than that, 2012, something like that. All the Lucasfilm rights and IP were transferred over to Disney and Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy is the head of Lucasfilm now. She obviously tricked George Lucas into thinking that she knew what she was doing and she was a good producer that could run a film studio. Unfortunately, Lucas brought it and she was picked by him to take over. I used to think she was a good producer too. Her name is attached to a lot of big movies like Jurassic Park, E.T., the original Indiana Jones trilogy and pretty much every movie that Spielberg ever made. So she might have been okay then now she's at the forefront of identity politics in film. She's pretty much single-handedly destroyed Star Wars. She's also gaining a reputation for destroying film franchises. But it's not all her. Disney is to blame as well. They have remade pretty much everything. They've dusted off the shelves of the Disney archives. And they've pretty much remade every one of their classic films. I was never a huge fan of Disney, personally. I never liked the animation. I didn't particularly care much for the stories. Most of the classic Disney stories are only based on or ripped off of other, usually very iconic cultural stories. But you never hear them mention that. 
Little Mermaid isn't a Disney story. That's a Hans Christian Andersen story. Same with The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Aladdin, they're not original Disney ideas. They're well-known stories from different cultures. So you could really accuse Disney of cultural appropriation. They like to point out how racist and ignorant everyone is and how diverse and inclusive they are as a company. I'll be digging into Disney in a future episode. The cast of Indy 5 does look promising. The trailer gives us a little hint of who the main players may, may be. Sala is back. It's nice to see Sala return to Indiana Jones. He was noticeably absent in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He's a fan favourite and one of Indy's most loyal sidekicks. So it's good to see John Reese davies return as Sulla. The new bad guy, Vola, is played by Mads Mikkelsen, everyone's favourite portrayer of bad guys. He's a fantastic actor. So seeing him as the new villain will be pretty cool. I'm sure he'll pull it off. The rest of the film, not so sure yet. You've also got Boyd Holbrook, Antonio Banderas, Toby Jones and Thomas Kretschmann. All joining the cast of Indy 5. Boyd Holbrook was in Magna Gold's Logan. He's a pretty good actor. It's also written by a couple of good directors, the Butterworth brothers, Jez and John Henry Butterworth. They wrote Ford vs. Ferrari, Magna Gold's most recent film. They also wrote Black Mass and Edge of Tomorrow, which is a pretty good movie. It's not Tom Cruise's best, but it's a very original sci-fi film. The trailer opens pretty promising. It opens with a action scene, a scooter chase through the streets of what looks like Sicily. The timeline of the film matches with the age of Indy and Harrison. From the start of the trailer, it does look pretty visual effects heavy, which may be the, some of the first signs of concern. Obviously, the original Indy movies were made many decades ago. They had limited film technology back then. Some of the action scenes from the trailer look pretty overloaded with visual effects. They look more like a Marvel film than an indie film. And that's the other trend you see, with, especially when it comes to action movies, is the over-reliance on CGI. It seems to be cheaper to do it CGI than it is to do practical. So that's why you, when you see practical effects in movies, it is such a rarity now. It's also really nice when you see it done well. In modern films, you don't have to rely on special effects because I don't think some of the effects are really as good as the studios make them out to be. Yeah, it's cool. You can pretty much do anything in a film these days, but it always looks like special effects. Visual effects reliance is definitely the trend and norm in Hollywood these days, especially when it comes to action films. Seems like every second action film tries to outdo the last one, especially the Marvel movies. I think they get more visual effects heavy every one they make. It seems like it's a competition who can make the most visual effects heavy film, especially when it comes to Marvel. Each one seems to outdo the last one in terms of its visual effects use. They seem to come up with the most outlandish action scenes that are just so over-reliant on visual effects that they're completely unbelievable. And if you did them practically, there's no way it would be believable or be able to fit into the story. 
yeah, special effects do make movies better. You can do anything these days. Avatar 2 comes out pretty soon. Comes out in a couple of weeks. And that movie is probably going to be 95%, 98% special effects. And that's a film that relies on special effects and is all the better for it. But that's because you've got a master director and writer behind it, James Cameron. He knows how to use effects to tell a story and doesn't let the effects ruin the story. Like a majority of most of the big action movies that are made today, the visual effects seem to dictate the story rather than the writing, directing, or acting. So like I have 100% confidence that Avatar 2 is going to be a fucking masterpiece. The visual effects in the first one still hold up today. They are incredible because of the time and effort that went into it. They're not like the Marvel films where there's three or four out every year. And they're basically just mass produced. The effects are good but they're not always great in those films. They seem to be, a lot of them seem to be really rushed. You only get, what, so many years to produce the next Marvel film before it's slated to release. And that's replaced by the next one. And then the next one. So they have to pump them out as fast as they can. And as soon as that one's done, they're working on the sequel. And then when that one's done, they're working on the sequel. Then the next collaborative Avengers film. They have to be over the top and outdo the last film. They have such tight schedules on those films. The special effects artists don't always get the time they need to perfect the images. So the cinematography from a trailer looks good. It looks pretty similar to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. However, it does look a bit cleaner and glossier than the previous indie films. It doesn't have that action grain that the original trilogy does. It looks like it's more digital which it probably was, I mean, if I had to guess, it's probably shot digitally. But it does look a little too glossy and a little too clean cut. It it looks like it's missing some sweat stains and age, like the original trilogy. That could be a new Instagram filter. Sweat. They probably should have gone a more grittier filter on it to make it look a little rougher around the edges. It looks a lot like the Disney Star Wars trilogy. Very clean, very ultra glossy. Everything's shiny. Unlike the original Star Wars trilogy that definitely had an age and a deterioration to it. It looked lived in. There was nothing about the first one that was really glossy. It looked like it was fresh out of a packet. The Stormtroopers were all had scratches on their armor. They are all a bit beat up. A bit dirty. They all had scuffs on their boots. They looked like they had been... They look like they've been walking around the Death Star for years. Unlike Force Awakens, everything is ultra clean and new. It looks like it's just come out of the Apple Store. Everything's glossy and white and silver. The Stormtroopers look way too clean. Even Kylo Ren looks as clean cut as they come. Compared to the original Darth Vader, where the costume was kind of dirty... You can tell it had a couple of fingerprints on it. It had a bit of grime and age to it. It looked like Vader had been around the block a few times. And the cinematography for Dial of Destiny looks very similar. It looks a little too clean, especially for an Indiana Jones film. Compared with Raiders, that film looked like it was dipped in sweat. You could 
see the age and deterioration of everything, and it, it definitely suits the world of Indiana Jones. Obviously, he's an archaeologist. He stands the reason he probably gets dirty quite a lot. Unfortunately, so far, I'm not seeing a lot of originality. I'd give the originality rating about a 5 out of 10. Mainly because the bad guys in this film are Nazis. The Nazis are back as the bad guy once again. As a bad guy, they're good, but as an original villain, it's already been done twice before. That fit the original timeline perfectly. 1930s and 40s, that's when Nazis were around. Fast forward a few decades to Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls and Commies were the bad guys. That film gets a lot of hate. I enjoyed it. I don't think it was as hateable as people made it out to be. Everyone acts like it was you know, this horrible film. I thought it was good. It showed some originality. It picked up decades after The Last Crusade left off. It was age-appropriate for the character of Indy and for Harrison. They introduced the son, brought back some old characters. Obviously, Nazis weren't around back then in the 60s, so the commies replaced them. That was the threat of that decade. And I'm sure this one will be filled with the same kind of thing. This Dial of Destiny it is set in 1969, in the late 60s. So you had the Vietnam War, civil rights, the age of governmental conspiracies and a whole lot more happening. So I'm sure some of that will be factored into this film. Let's just hope it's done originally and it's not forced or cringeworthy. And given that Indiana Jones is inspired by the adventure serials of the 1950s and in itself is an adventure serial franchise because the original trilogy isn't a straight sequel. The first film is... Technically, Temple of Doom, followed by Raiders, and then Last Crusade. George Lucas was inspired by the adventure serials of the 1950s. Indiana Jones does follow that narrative type. We would have whatever was happening that decade factored into the story. 1930s and 40s, it's Nazis. 1950s, it's communists. In 1960s, it could have been you know, a number of different antagonists but the studios felt it better and safer to go with the old familiar enemy the nazis despite the fact that they were gone by then and i'm sure this is going to tie into the ridiculous sounding title the dial of destiny i mean you know what the fuck is the dial of destiny you know, there's a million different roads they could have gone down they could have picked a number of bad guys personally the commies were a good bad guy in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It fits with the timeline of the film and Indy's age in it, as well as Harrison's age. They couldn't rehash the old Nazis again because it had been, what, 20 years since the Last Crusade? 20 plus years. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is set in 1957, so that was the height of the commies under the bed era. Communists were the big bad guy of society. Nazis were done and dusted. So it makes a lot of sense that communists would be the bad guy rather than the Nazis. Which would have been nice if the Dial of Destiny did a, went down a similar road. And unfortunately, they play it safe with the old familiar bad guy in the Nazis. And you know, maybe it does help brand out the franchise a bit, but we've seen it twice before. We don't really need to see it again. Personally, I probably would have gone a different route. 
there's a hundred different original bad guys they could have picked from. They could have gone with an evil corporation, an evil billionaire, a cult leader like Temple of Doom. I probably would have gone the cult leader angle myself or have some type of bad guy who's looking for something or a cult leader who's trying to find an artifact that will you know, bring about the end of the world or something like that. You know, corporation, billionaire, cult leader. They could have gone down any number of roads with that. An evil corporation, evil billionaire, cult leader. Oh wait, that would have been too close for home for Disney. However, I am not surprised by the space element in Indy 5. It is set in 1969 after all. The space race played a big part in the background of the late 1960s. So I'm hoping it does play a significant part in the film. To what degree? No one really knows yet apart from the people who made it. I did read somewhere recently that the Nazis factor into the story of Indy 5 through NASA. And that is true. There's a lot of ex-Nazi scientists that ended up being high-ranking NASA scientists such as Warner Von Braun. So that would be a cool way to tie the Nazis back into the 1960s. It's obviously based on fact, and it would be a believable way to do that. As long as it's not too over the top. I'm starting to piece this story together in my head of how it all might go. Nazis look for some artifact, Dial of Destiny, which would also factor into the anti-aging scenes that have been talked about so much. And they end up getting jobs in NASA and getting forgotten about only to try and dig up this thing later on in the 1960s. Kind of also sounds a bit like that subplot for Captain America Winter Soldier, or was it Captain America Civil War, one of the two, where Hydra ended up infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. decades after they were believed to be destroyed after World War II. It's got a feeling that's probably how it's going to pan out, the Nazis... After World War II, covertly infiltrate NASA via their scientists and infiltrate the space program in the attempt to locate the Dial of Destiny or some shit like that. I do have some concerns from what I've seen in the trailer so far. The obvious one being the title. It fucking sounds ridiculous. The Dial of Destiny. Like, what the fuck is a Dial of Destiny? I guess we're going to find out in six to seven months time it sounds a little corny and really generic it sounds very disney if this wasn't the title to an indiana jones film you would swear it was the title of a disney animated film disney has never been known for originality and this definitely proves it I mean, how hard is it to come up with a convincing decent title for a movie these days they always play it safe. They always go the safe option. There's a million better titles out there than the Dial of Destiny. But by far the biggest concern is the alleged time travel plot. Because we all know time travel brings with it a lot of paradoxes. If the rumors are true, an old indie meets a young indie and helps young indie thereby blinking the old indie out of existence and out of the timeline. And if you believe the internet chatter, this is to pave the way for a new female character who will be taken over from Indiana Jones and 
And this does seem pretty plausible considering it is Disney and Kathleen Kennedy behind Indiana Jones 5. This is what they do and this is what they've done in the past. They've done it to Star Wars and Indy looks like he's next. There's also apparently an Indiana Jones TV show in the works that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. There's a new Star Wars show pretty much every year now. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did the same thing with Indiana Jones. Disney loves to squeeze every last drop of profit out of anything it touches. So why should Indy be any different? And the time travel and its paradoxes, the old Indy and the new Indy story arc does look pretty plausible. It has played a big part in the trailer so far. There's been a lot of talk from the producers, namely Kathleen Kennedy and director James Mangagold, about the aging tech they used in it. Harrison Ford has also commented on it. It looks like Ford from 1989. Kathleen Kennedy has talked up the technology quite heavily, saying that you're going to be unable to pick the real from the dead digital. I suppose Disney did kind of start the anti-aging tech stuff back with uh, Tron Legacy. That was pretty good, considering the technology was still pretty new, but you could tell it was a computer-generated image. There's something a little off about the face, something the way the lips and the mouth moved that wasn't quite realistic. And that was a while ago. That movie came out, well, about 10 years ago now. The tech has definitely gotten better since then. There's some scenes in the trailer where it, the technology does look pretty good, where Indy's dressed as the German officer, and there's other scenes where it doesn't look that outstanding. It's a little off in the face, and it moves kind of weirdly. So, you know, maybe this is just rush shots for a trailer, and I'm, cause I'm assuming the film isn't finished yet. There's still probably months of post-production to go on it. This feeds back into the young Indy versus the old Indy debate. No, we can't have the old Indiana Jones. We need to have the Indiana Jones from the 80s. You know, it's sick of the haters of an older Indiana Jones. Why can't there be an old Indiana Jones? I think it's cool and very interesting to have a character that started in the 1980s and is still going in the 2020s. The first Indiana Jones came out in 1981 and it's still going strong today. It's a testament to the films and the characters and the story that a franchise started in 1981 is still going in 2022 is a testament to the characters and to Ford's performance that the character of Indiana Jones has spanned several decades and generations and a whole new generation of moviegoers gets to experience the Indiana Jones film in the theaters hopefully the film will please young and old fans I'm not sure if it will or not. I think it's cool that you can follow a character over numerous decades, like Indiana Jones from the 1930s to the 19, late 1960s, or Han Solo. I think it is cool seeing those characters when they are young, and then seeing that character progress and age over the, over the decades. Like I mentioned before, it doesn't quite work the same way for Terminator, unfortunately. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't think, was as relevant in the later Terminator films as he was in the first three. They probably should have continued that story arc from Terminator Salvation, whether you liked that film or not. The idea was pretty cool. We finally got the future war. I think the studios needed to take a chance and go in that direction. 
and obviously that film was a failure and it bankrupted the studio and then that's why we've got the time traveling Terminator paradoxes that we have in Terminator Genesis and Dawn of Fate that franchise is completely fucked now because they didn't try anything original and they just kept trying to rehash old, old ideas let's just chuck time travel in again and ruin the timeline those films are fucked beyond recognition Terminator 3 in comparison looks like a fucking masterpiece compared to Dawn of Fate and Terminator Genesis and I don't know about you, but I definitely want to see an old Dr. Jones. I want to see what he's been up to for the last couple of decades. There's wisdom that comes with age, and that could factor into the story. Maybe he's learnt a couple of new tricks over the decades. Maybe there's some things he doesn't do anymore, like like fight bad guys and leave his gun behind. So maybe there's a couple of little tricks and traits he's picked up over the years. It also gives you the opportunity to present a veteran, more of a hardened, more experienced Indiana Jones. Or you could go the other way, and maybe he's mellowed a bit, maybe he's a bit softer than he was in the original trilogy. Maybe he's learned a bit, maybe he's just taken life easy, maybe he's a bit more laid back. This one's set in the 60s after all, maybe he's come around to the idea of hippies and LSD. Maybe he's had a couple of trips during the 60s and maybe looks at life a little differently. Who knows? These are Having such a long period of time pass does present very unique story opportunities. Something tells me that Disney won't be capitalizing on those opportunities. They'll probably go for the safe stock standard approach like they always take. And you know what? Harrison Ford is still fit. He looks good. And as I said before, he looks better and fitter than most 40-year-olds. So to all the haters and people who don't like the old Indiana Jones, you can fuck right off. Aging hasn't stopped other 80s icons from making movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger's still making movies, although he's not making as many movies as he used to. He hasn't done a movie in a while. He's not doing as many action films. I think Terminator Dawn of Fate was one of the last films he was in. I think he's been in a couple of other films, but he, he's definitely got a bit more dramatic in his older years for better or worse. There's been rumours of him returning to Predator, but at the same time, I, I don't think it's necessary for Arnold Schwarzenegger to return to Predator. I don't think it ever was. It doesn't really make a lot of sense now anyway. Sylvester Stallone still makes action movies. I mean, how many Rambo movies has he made? The last one, Rambo Last Blood, came out a couple of years ago. He's still kicking the shit out of people. He's doing a lot of stunts himself. I mean, what is he? Stallone's, what, late 70s? How many Rocky movies has he made? Although he's not fighting in them anymore. Either way, he's still making action movies. Steven Seagal still makes those dreadful straight-to-DVD action films. It's about the only thing he can get cast in. Don't think he's made anything recently, but... He's still making action films. John claude Van Damme's still making them. Dolph Lundgren... He's always in straight-to-DVD action movies. So nothing stopping them from making movies. The only difference is Harrison Ford's all-natural. Harrison Ford might be a couple of years older than his peers, but he's a hell of a lot fitter and in far better shape than most of them. So this brings up that greedy fucking little mouse. Disney. Disney is one of those companies that 
likes to pretend it's all diverse and inclusive, but they're really full of shit. Because there's one group of people Disney hate, and they keep telling us this over and over again, and that is older people. Disney is a ageism. <clears throat> Disney is a very ageist. That's pretty much what they're telling us. They want a young Indiana Jones, and they spend all this money on this anti-aging tech to reverse age Indiana Jones. So what they're really saying to everyone is they're a bunch of ageist pieces of shit that don't like old people. And is this because a modern audience wouldn't get Indiana Jones? I think that's bullshit. I don't really think this I don't really think this fictitious modern audience even exists. I think it only exists in the minds of film executives and Disney. So when you think of it, Disney is kind of creating this conflict within the Indiana Jones universe and among the fans. It's the young indie versus the old indie. Which is better? Which is worse? Which one would you rather see? Just give us Indiana Jones, no matter what form. It worked in the last one, it can work again now. And like I said before, if you don't like old Indiana Jones, you are not a true Indiana Jones fan. Why is there this comparison between the two? Why can't we have both and appreciate an older adventurer, a more mature veteran adventurer? Why does everything have to be like the originals? Because Disney keeps on preaching nostalgia and this is going to be like the original. We're going to drop you in just like the originals. This is going to be so reminiscent. It's going to be like the originals. Just like they did with the Star Wars sequel trilogy. The Force Awakens was a shit film. It was basically a new hope retold. With diverse new characters. This is what Disney do. Look what they've done to their own films. They've remade everything in the last couple of years. And you can't tell me it's for this... New generation that might not have grown up with Aladdin or The Lion King. Well, maybe that's a good enough reason to remake stuff. I mean, if I was the head of Disney, I probably would too. But Disney loves a cash cow. They love to milk a cash cow dry. They can't come up with any original ideas. That's why they keep buying up every other piece of IP in the entertainment landscape. They've brought Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox, Marvel... So that means they've got a full catalogue of content they can endlessly produce. Just look at Marvel. There's over 22 films, 24 films at this point. Six, seven, eight TV shows and more coming. They're endlessly producing Marvel TV shows and movies. I mean, they're even down to the Z-grade characters that no one gives a shit about. Why would anyone make a She-Hulk fucking TV show? And who the fuck in their right mind wants to watch she-Hulk. There's another Avengers movie with a younger cast. There's all these obscure characters that, unless you're a real diehard Marvel fan, you've probably never heard of and you probably don't give two shits about. Probably should have stopped making Marvel movies after Avengers Endgame. I have no interest in seeing those TV shows. I don't want to have to see a 10-episode show to understand the next movie, like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Unless you've seen WandaVision, there's a lot of that movie that doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. And it wasn't a very good movie anyway. Come to think of it, the last good Marvel movie I, I saw was the last Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man No Way Home. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was average. It had the potential to do something different. 
but it failed. It was a weird film. I, mean, I liked the first Doctor Strange a lot. I thought he was one of the more interesting Marvel characters. The second one was a bit of a clusterfuck. There's too many things happening. Nothing's explained well enough. The action's pretty bland for a movie called Multiverse of Madness. It, the trailer made it look like it was going to be this mind-bending, mind-altering adventure. It had some pretty cool special effects. I will give it that. With the kaleidoscope cityscapes and the sky kind of folding in on itself. That was pretty cool. Thor Love and Thunder was one of the fucking worst Marvel movies I've ever seen. That movie was fucked as soon as it started. Which is a shame because Christian Bale was really good as Gore the God Killer. And he was completely underused and completely disrespected. It made Thor look like a fucking retard. That movie is a complete parody of the previous Thor movies and the Thor character. And they completely tried to make Thor look like a moron the entire movie and make Jane and Valkyrie the only characters that knew what they were doing and try to really make them the star of it. That movie sucked. Chris Hemsworth has come out recently and said he doesn't want to work with any more mad genius directors, meaning Taika Waikatiti, which is funny because actors are finally coming out and speaking their mind rather than acting like the good little whores they are, taking the paycheck. Because actors in the past have very rarely spoken out against a director or a film or a studio, for that matter, for fear of being blacklisted and never working again. Because Christian Bale said that working on the Marvel films was one of the worst experiences he's ever had making a film. So you'd stand in front of a green screen all day, try to remember your lines and you had no fucking clue what you were doing. So maybe we are seeing a uprising in Hollywood. Maybe the actors are sick of making shit films and they're slowly exerting their influence over the studios and executives. Maybe it will turn out for the better. Rant over. I can't remember what I was originally complaining about. Yeah, so why can't we appreciate an older adventurer? Why does everything have to be like the originals? Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, I think, worked better with an older Indiana Jones than a younger one. So why is Disney pushing the aging thing so hard? Disney pretend to be inclusive and diverse when it suits them, or their narrative they're trying to spin. But they have completely disregarded older people. They keep claiming their movies are for a modern audience, and that's justification to remake everything that's ever been made. They have no regard for a classic film or story. Disney is like revisionist history. They just pick and choose parts of something that has already happened or being made that they want to focus on. In this case, it's let's destroy and reboot the legacy of Indiana Jones or Star Wars in favor of this new, diverse, modern approach, which 99% of the time has a female lead, a white female lead. So where's your diversity, Disney? And all these new diverse characters Disney loves to preach about are stereotypical and very shallow, which shows you how much respect Disney has for diversity, if they even know what it means. And it's all an act anyway. They don't really believe in diversity. They're all full of shit. Disney's diversity is purely motivated by the dollars. 
that is unless you're an older person. If you're an older person, you're not worth anything to Disney. Your money just isn't as good. They also seem to think that older action heroes or older characters aren't suitable for this quote-unquote modern audience or the modern audience won't understand them, which I think is complete shit. In other words, they're trying to say that the modern audience is too dumb to figure out the motivations of older characters that were written in a different decade. Because they weren't written in the entitled Me Generation's timeline, they won't understand it. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that is sick of the endless reboots and remakes that Hollywood produces every fucking year. Why can't we appreciate what has been? And after all, classic movies are classic for a reason. They've stood the test of time and they've been around for decades. And they're still universally loved. So that throws the modern audience theory right out the window. If a movie was made 80, 70, 60, 50 years ago and it still holds up today, like Casablanca, so that suggests that these stories and characters have a universality about them. There's a common theme or trait about the story or character that still rings true today as it did back then, which is the complete opposite to the modern audience theory. So if a character like Rick Blaine, played by Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca, was loved and understood back when the film first came out in 1942, and is still understood by modern audience today, that shoots that theory down in fucking flames. Because times might change, but there are basic elements in story and character that don't. So that's to say that things have changed so drastically since 1942 to 2022 that human beings today are so completely unrecognizable to people back in the 40s, which I think is complete bullshit. I think people all throughout time have pretty much been the same. It's really only the superficial things that change. Closed technology. We obviously live in a different time with different values now. But I don't think we are all that much different to people who have lived... 80 years ago, or to people who have lived 800 years ago or 8,000 years ago, everyone still, human beings still have the same motivations and desires. So to say a character like Blaine doesn't translate into a modern day is just complete and utter bullshit. After all, biblical stories have definitely stood the test of time, more so than any other narrative on the planet. The story of Cain and Abel is still as relevant now as it was when it was written thousands of years ago. The story of Jesus, same thing. Biblical stories are so easily translated and applied to life thousands of years ago or life in the present. The genius of the Bible is its universality. And that is the same for every other great story that has ever been told. There's a universality in them that makes them appliable, approachable, and likable by a wide audience. And it doesn't matter if that audience exists now, or 50 years ago, or 50 years in the future. The universal stories and themes are the same, and they're universal for a reason. Han Solo is relatable now, as he was back in 1977. Same is true for Indiana Jones. He's as likable now as he was in the 80s 
or if you want to stick to the era of the Indiana Jones movies, a fictional archaeologist who goes on adventures all around the world is just as relatable in the 1930s as he is in the 21st century. And I don't want to speak for the entire modern audience, but I'm pretty sure the modern audience understands what time period he was in. And that that time period is very different to the one we're currently living in. I think Hollywood and the film studios need to start respecting their audiences more. They need to stop anticipating and predicting what the audience is feeling and stop telling them what to think. I don't think the modern audience is quite as outraged as some of these Hollywood executives might think they are. And yeah, there are a proportion of people out there who are going to complain about movies like Gone with the Wind and call it racist, despite the fact that it was set on a plantation in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And those people who do get offended and want to cancel movies like that, who that are set in time periods and represent a certain part of history, no matter how bad or good that part of history is, aren't realistic and need their heads examined. If you're making a movie about World War II and you're offended by Nazis in it, then you're really offended by facts because how are you supposed to make a movie about World War II and not put Nazis in it? Nazis were around in World War II. They did some bad shit. Ignoring that fact isn't going to course correct history. This is the same shit that revisionist history does. Picks and chooses what it thinks is correct and if you ignore history or choose to hide it, you're doomed to repeat it. It's the same thing if you call a movie racist for depicting slavery. Well, maybe it's set in that time period. Maybe it is about slavery. Are you going to call a film like 12 Years a Slave racist or accurate? Slavery did happen. It's a stain on humanity in the collective cultural history of the human race. But it unfortunately did happen. And pretending it didn't happen doesn't make it go away or make it better. So going back to what I was saying. So Disney is doing a very good job at dividing Indiana Jones fans. You have the young indie crowd versus the old indie crowd. They're splitting the fans down the middle. This is the same tactic we see in the media and in politics. It's the red ties versus the blue ties. The haves and the have-nots. Me versus you, them versus us. It's the same mentality. Why can't you have an Indiana Jones universe where both exist? We've already had a younger Indiana Jones in the original trilogy. Now we have an older Indiana Jones. There's even a younger Indiana Jones in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicle TV show. So we're basically seeing all of Indiana Jones' life play out. So why can't we see an older Indiana Jones? A veteran adventurer that is looking to hang up his whip and fedora and retire for a quiet life. If the story is good, it shouldn't matter either way. The cast of Indy 5 so far has been pretty good. There is just one giant question mark that looms over the entire production, and that is Love or Hater, Phoebe Waller Bridges. I got that solo feeling about this one. I don't know if it's just her or it's the school of writing and acting that she is from. Because she's not just an actor, she's also a writer. She is one of the writers on Killing Eve and Fleabag. She was also 
brought in to help with the script for No Time to Die. She's probably the one responsible for the horrific character of Nomi. She was fucking cringeworthy, and I was just hoping the entire film that she was going to get shot. So hopefully some of her writing influences haven't made its way into this film. And I've got a feeling that Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character of Helena, Indy's apparent granddaughter, is going to be another Ray, a boring, cliched, stereotyped female character. If the rumors are true and Indy goes back in time to save his younger self, thus saving the day, and somehow renders himself out of existence, ceasing to exist, which conveniently paves the way for Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character to take over in a Disney Plus show. I thought she would have been the daughter. That was another rumor, because George Lucas had always planned for Indiana Jones to have a daughter, as well as a son. Unless the granddaughter angle is designed to throw everyone off the scent. I'm not a fan of hers, I haven't seen a lot of her work, but what I have seen, she seems to be pretty unlikable as a person and an actor. And if we remember, she was the voice of that god-awful pansexual droid in Solo, which was an utter crime to the Star Wars universe. More so than the damage done by the mouse. I got a bad feeling about this. I think she's going to be the same old cliche Mary Sue female character that Kathleen Kennedy seems to love so much. They should have just called her Ray Jones and just be done with it. And that seems to be the trait with a lot of female characters in films now. They just seem to be unlikable. They can do it all. They know it all. There's no character development or story. They beat the bad guy in the first fight. And there's pretty much no progression with the character. This is the this is the biggest problem with Rey. I think we all knew there was going to be a female Jedi in the Disney sequel trilogy. I was hoping for one that was well written. One that actually had a believable story arc. And not just this regurgitated stereotype we see over and over and over again with modern films. There's nothing likable about Rey. You couldn't tell her anything. She knew it all. She knew how to fly the Millennium Falcon. She knew how to fix things. She knew more about the ship than Han and Chewie. She knew how to do everything. All her plans worked out. She had to tell the male characters how it was going to be and what the plan was and we should do this because she knows best. She knew how to use a lightsaber despite the fact that she'd never seen one before and she beat Kylo Ren in a minute and a half. Therefore destabilizing the main villain of the new Star Wars trilogy and discrediting the villain in the upcoming sequels. And this seems to be a trait that Kathleen Kennedy seems to love. My mom, all four... Realistic diversity in films, when it's forced, it's very cringeworthy and very obvious, and I think can ruin a movie. If it's done right, it should seem natural to the story, and you really shouldn't notice it. I don't know what it is, whether it's the producers or the writer just being lazy, that no one can seem to write decent female parts anymore. There are some good female characters out there in modern films, but they're far and few between when it comes to generic Hollywood movies, specifically the action sci-fi genre. They seem to be all the same. So why is it so hard to write a decent, believable character? It also doesn't say a lot about the studios when they when they attribute stereotypes with diversity. So that's all the time they're going to put in 
to writing these characters where they're just carbon copies of stereotypes. And after all, isn't that a form of racism? Because after all, isn't that what people were complaining about with movies in the first place, is that the characters were just stereotypes? So Kathleen Kennedy, she seems to hate older white male action heroes. Yet she's married to an old white dude who produced 80s action movies. So go figure. She doesn't seem to like the older white male crowd, but her husband is like 20 years older than her. Gold digger much? So why can't Hollywood write a believable female character anymore? The recent crop all suck and are carbon copies of the same old worn out stereotype. And in my opinion, why is James Cameron the only guy to write decent, realistic, believable female characters in sci-fi and action? I don't get why Hollywood keeps doing this. Their heads must be so far up their own asses. They can't see that no one believes or likes these new female characters, not even women. So if these characters are not being written for a female audience, then who the fuck are they written for? 80 sci-fi and action films had some of the best written female characters. James Cameron contributed to this himself in Aliens and Terminator, with Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor, and The Abyss. And who could go past Princess Leia in the original Star Wars trilogy, or Marion Ravenwood in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Sigourney Weaver again in Ghostbusters. So did this come down to good writing, directing and acting? Or was it due to a lack of politics in entertainment back in the 70s, 80s and 90s? Today's entertainment landscape has just been completely over-politicised. There's always going to be some type of political or social message in movies and TV now. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's completely obvious, painfully obvious even. And just look at the drivel of She-Hulk and some of the overt social messaging in that and some of the comments by the delusional writer of that show it also seems like the writing back then was all about the movie and the characters it was about coming up with a good story good characters where today it seems like you have to go to a certain college get a certain degree and pick your agenda that you want to try to insert into your writing because a lot of modern writers seem to be a bunch of pretentious little fucking shits that are concerned with Agendas and politics more than good storytelling and characterization. There's probably more than that factoring into it, such as politicized and agenda driven film studios, rent a director or rent a writers, producers that once again they're just in it for the dollars and not the art form. Now, for whatever reason, James Cameron seems to be able to write female characters better than anybody. He can write tough, realistic, believable female characters who aren't superior to anyone else in the story look at Ripley in Aliens she's not above Hicks or Hudson in any way even though she's had experience with an alien before she doesn't try to command the show she merely offers her objections and her plan and she is such a believable character because she is realistic she's vulnerable she gets the shit kicked out of her over the course of four movies not so much in the fourth one but in the first three same goes for Princess Leia. She doesn't take any shit from Han Solo. She gives it straight back to him. She's not inferior or superior to anyone else in the story. Everyone plays their part. Everyone has a purpose in these stories, unlike Rey, who doesn't need any help from anyone. She's telling Chewbacca what to do. She knows how to fly the Millennium Falcon. 
despite the fact that it's the first time in the story that she's actually ever seen it or stepped foot on it. She can use a lightsaber as good as Luke, despite the fact that she's only ever touched one once. She has no vulnerability, she has no weakness, she in fact in, exploits the vulnerabilities and weaknesses of the bad guy, making him uh, an inferior eunuch of a character who is no threat in The Last Jedi or The Rise of Skywalker. So Indy has a granddaughter, but where's Mutt? Shia LaBeouf probably should have returned in this one rather than introducing a, another new character that probably isn't going to go anywhere. I don't understand the hate he gets either. Shia LaBeouf cops a lot of shit in his personal life and for Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. I don't know why. He seems like one of the more genuine people in Hollywood. He's spoken out about the Hollywood machine and all the wokeness that's been going on in the last couple of years. Yeah, he might have a few issues himself. He might be a bit strange, but he seems like a pretty cool guy. I'd rather talk to someone like him who is more, who is real, who's going to give you a straight answer than one of these fucking phonies who's more concerned about saving their own job and towing the studio line. I didn't think the character of Mutt was that bad. I liked him. He was a more unorthodox choice for Indiana Jones' son, but he pulled it off. He's Australia Buff's a great actor. He he didn't do it as a indie clone. He did it as the outsider greaser. But he pulled it off and made it work. His character has a big development over the course of the film. And by the end of it, he has more of an interest in becoming an adventurer like his father. The door was left open for Mutt to take over. Yeah, it probably wouldn't have worked as a film. And this is obviously before the days of endless television shows on streaming services. If Disney wants to do an Indiana Jones show, it should probably be with Mutt. It would make more sense, chronologically speaking, and it's a good way to bring back the character. But Kathleen Kennedy's probably got her own ideas. But yeah, in my opinion, he should he should have come back. And Shire seems like one of the more authentic people in Hollywood, regardless of what most people in the media think of him. It's fair enough, he might not have been the obvious choice for Indy's son, but he made it work. And the rumour of the indie shows, I do believe, because this fits with Disney's business motto. Look what they've done with Star Wars and Marvel. Every secondary character has their own show now. I haven't seen any of the Star Wars shows apart from the first two seasons of The Mandalorian. But was it really necessary to have a Cassian Andor show? I didn't think the guy was that interesting in Rogue One. He seemed like a pretty generic character. But that show's supposed to be good, so maybe I'm 100% wrong. I don't really think Vision and Wanda need their own TV show, or Hawkeye. But you know what, maybe they're good. I guess they are, because they keep making them. But it does seem a bit excessive. I'm a bit skeptical of the Obi-Wan show. I've heard some bad things about it. Book of Bubba Fett looks pretty cool. Bubba Fett's definitely a character that warrants his own show. He's such a loved character. And yet he's so mysterious. There's not a lot about him. He only has about he only has about four or five lines in total in Empire and Jedi. Now I get it why they want to pump more money into TV because you can get more out of a TV show than you can a movie. It's also easier to produce, less of the less expensive a movie and less risk, which is a bit hypocritical because Kathleen Kennedy did destroy Star Wars. She destroyed the films and made them completely unprofitable. Therefore, forcing Star Wars into the realm of TV. She pretty much made it so unprofitable that it only works as a TV show now. She's responsible for the least profitable Star Wars films in the history of Star Wars. She has seemed to have 
run the Star Wars ship into the ground. But yet she still has a job. And there was always rumors a couple of years ago that she was going to get fired and replaced. But it didn't happen. And now she's got her eyes set on Indiana Jones, which will probably run that into the ground. Probably make a spin-off movie of this with Phoebe Waller-Bridges in it. No one will see it. It won't make any money. It will She'll ruin the Indiana Jones profitability and then turn it into a bunch of TV shows. Kathleen Kennedy, she can't help herself. Her and Disney have ruined Star Wars and Disney has now ruined Marvel. And they've also ruined their own classics by remaking them or remaking slash rebooting them with a new diverse cast. You can agree or disagree with that. Sometimes the diversity is warranted, yes. Other times it is completely destabilized the story it's trying to tell. Star Wars has been destroyed at this point. It's no longer a viable IP. The toys don't sell anymore. They don't really seem to produce enough video games. I know there's a couple coming, but they just seem to take a fucking long time to come out. The only red-headed Star Wars character was refined to the world of video games. I think even that's been changed around in... Jedi Fallen Order 2. So in other words, what Disney is saying, they don't like old people or redheads. She is responsible for the worst Star Wars content to date and the lowest performing Star Wars movies. It's no longer a profitable film franchise anymore and it only works as a TV show. Disney, they squeeze the life out of everything they fucking touch. They're locusts consuming every piece of content until it has gone bad and stale and nobody wants to touch it. Marvel movies suck now. I'll challenge anyone to disagree with me on that. The Marvel movies are not the same Marvel movies from even two years ago. Since Avengers Endgame, is it Phase 3 of Marvel, whatever they call it, they have not been the same. There's been a couple of good ones. Black Widow was pretty good. Shin, Shin, Shen Chen was good, whatever it's called. Spider-Man, Far From Home, No Way Home, that was excellent. And that's about it. I haven't bothered seeing Wakanda Forever. It looks like they put a hell of a lot of social and identity politics into that movie. And I'm not sitting through a 2 hour and 41 minute Marvel movie. It doesn't need to be that long. I think 2 hours is pretty much max when it comes to a Marvel film. Avengers Endgame was excessively long. There was no need for that movie to be 3 hours. They could have cut down that whole middle section by half. But it was still a good movie. Even if it was pretty bloated. So let's get back to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So the Dial of Destiny. Were the rumors true? So far, it looks like they are. And specifically, the rumor I'm referring to is the elephant in the room, and that is time travel. I'm sure some version of time travel could fit in with the Indiana Jones universe. I'm not sure they should have saved it for the last Indiana Jones film. And maybe this factors into the NASA aspect of the story and the space race with the Nazis working for NASA. I'm I'm assuming this is, I'm assuming that that's probably how the story is going to pan out. The Nazis find some device and makes its way into the hands of NASA scientists who are ex-Nazis and they try to bring back the Fuhrer or they try to open a portal back to the 40s or something. I fucking hope that's not the case. On one hand, it could work. But I'm not sure you could sustain the whole film off of that unless unless it's got a really good story, which, yeah, I don't know. The trailer can go either way. 
the action and stuff looks good. I'm not sure going back in time and having a young indie, even though I don't think that's how it's going to play, pay it. Even though I don't think that's how it's going to play out, I think it's going to be more old Indiana Jones than it is young Indiana Jones. And I hope that's the case because Harrison deserves to go out the way he thinks the character should. Yeah, and given the other indie films, they've always followed the MacGuffin plot where an object is basically the backbone of the entire story. They have to find the object everyone wants in order to save the day or to bring peace back to a village to stop the Nazis from getting the Ark of the Covenant whatever it happens to be Star Wars follows a pretty similar plot line with R2-D2 having the message from Princess Leia he has to go on his mission to find his former master of Obi-Wan and relay the message to him therefore bringing Luke into the fold and setting him on the path of the Jedi so why would this Indiana Jones be any different to the previous they've all followed the MacGuffin plot so it stands to reason the Dial of Destiny is the MacGuffin that we are looking for. It's probably going to drive the story, so whatever this Dial of Destiny is at the moment remains a secret. Time travel does seem a little hokey, even in the kitchen sink universe of Indiana Jones. Time travel is also problematic. It either works or it's a total clusterfuck in movies. It's usually the later. In most time travel movies, it doesn't work or or presents a paradox that is so contradictory to the story, it ends up not working or completely ruining the plot. Or when you do have a more original time travel plot like Looper, there's always a couple of, no pun intended, loopholes that kind of contradict what the main story was about. It's usually the director or the writer that thinks they're really smart and They've been a genius by putting this time-altering spin on the plot and on the time travel narrative. But it usually ends up with one flaw in it that ends up ruining the entire direction of the story, in much as the case in Looper. It seems really genius on the surface, but when you break that movie down, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really make sense. Or you couldn't can go the complete left of field time-bending narrative like Christopher Nolan does in Interstellar and Tenet. Tenet specifically, that movie is very complex and just when you think you've figured it out and you've got the whole timeline sorted like hold on that doesn't work because so and so was doing this or this was happening I'm still thinking about that movie two years after I saw it it's a fucking great movie I haven't watched it again it's been on my list to watch again but I just haven't got around to it I've got it on blu-ray I just haven't sat down and watched it yet next time I watch it I'm gonna write everything down on a notepad and see if I can figure it out for myself. Back to the Future is one of the rare movies where time travel works. And same with the first couple of Terminators. The first Terminator makes sense. So does the second one. And the third, then after that they get a little over the top and a little too smart for their own good. And I'm not talking just about the physical time travel in the film. It's more so what they do in a lot of modern films now. Where they alter timelines by either going back or forth through time like Terminator Genesis did and it it completely ruined and destroyed the timeline of Terminator. It basically killed the franchise in one movie but it didn't stop Hollywood from making Dawn of Fate which was just pure shit driven by a diverse agenda. It completely disregards everything that happened in Terminator 2. 
and a bit of a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Just when the Terminator has saved the day in Terminator 2, they've saved John Connor. He gets taken out by another T-800 in a bar in a beach resort somewhere, killing off John Connor and the saver of humanity, paving the way for a unknown female saviour to take his place. Completely annihilates the first three Terminator films. Terminator 3 is all but being forgotten in the timeline, and so is Terminator Salvation. That's another thing that really pisses me off with modern Hollywood movies, is they make a movie like Terminator Salvation or Terminator 3, and it doesn't work out that well. Then a few years later, they reboot said franchise with Terminator Genesis and completely make the other two films redundant. They're that arrogant and that foolish to think that their film is somehow better or superior to the one that didn't do that well from 10 years earlier, and that Salvation was such a bad film it needed to be wiped from the record books along with Terminator 3 in in favour of this new course-corrected and altered timeline of Terminator Genesis and Dawn of Fate. Dawn of Fate even fucks up the future part of it. The machines are more advanced. They're not called T-800s or anything anymore. They're Rev-7s or some fucking unlikable stupid name. There's no expansion or explanation to the world. It's just we've got a new timeline. We're going to override Terminator Genesis that was made three or four years beforehand. And replace it with this load of shit that makes absolutely no sense and destabilizes the entire Terminator saga. Back to the Future is one of the few films where time travel works. It doesn't try to outsmart itself or be pretentious in its writing and over explain everything. It's this vehicle. It can go back in time. If it gets to 88 miles an hour, that's all you need to know. It's powered by a bunch of shit you put in the flux capacitator, capacitor, whatever it's called. You get up to 88 miles an hour, you go back to a preset date. Easy, simple in the terms of timelines and time travel. It's a much easier story and timeline to keep track of, even though when you even if you watch all the Back to the Future films, one after another, there are a few little things that make you stop and scratch your head. Which I didn't notice the first 300 times I saw them, because I don't think I've ever watched them back to back. I watched them recently, one after another, and you don't quite notice it, especially with the first and second that kind of take place right after each other, and then the third one. Back to the Future is a lot smarter than a lot of people give it credit for. Obviously, it's a classic film. It should never be remade. They should never remake a sequel. It's one of the few franchises left that hasn't been tainted by the dreaded curse of the remake or Disney. It's only a matter of time, probably. I'm already surprised I haven't rebooted it, and now that I've said that, they probably will reboot it with a diverse cast. Doc will be played by Meryl Streep or someone like that, and they'll have whatever young female actress represents diversity playing Marty. Might even be transgender, so they won't have to change the name of Marty. And just recently, time travel seems to be the get-out-of-jail-free card for movie studios to either continuously make endless sequels or to ruin the previous film and completely discredit it. The last Avengers movie, Avengers Endgame, used time travel. It kind of worked there. I kind of thought that movie was probably going to be a bit smarter and not rely on the, let's just course correct everything crutch of time travel. Which is funny because time travel used to be really complex when writing. Now it's become part of the lazy writer's toolkit. 
add the time travel element and we don't have to bother explaining everything. We just go back in time and change everything. Which when Thanos does the snap, you kind of knew something like that was going to happen. Because you couldn't have half the Marvel characters die in the one film because then you can't make sequels, can you? There wouldn't be any more Spider-Man movies. No WandaVision. No Captain Marvel 2 or Doctor Strange. There are also rumours about the plot of Rise of Skywalker before it came out having a time travel aspect to it, which in retrospect probably would have been a hell of a lot better than the garbage that that film turned out to be. I'm not sure if that came from a studio or if it came from pissed off Star Wars fans who hated The Last Jedi, basically rewriting everything that happened in The Last Jedi to make The Rise of Skywalker make a bit more sense. That probably seems like the more logical explanation for that. But it also wouldn't surprise me if J.J. Abrams was looking at time travel to try and rectify The Last Jedi because I think he originally had a plan for those films and Ryan Johnson kind of did his own thing with Last Jedi and ruined the continuity of the three films because The Rise of Skywalker is not really a sequel to The Last Jedi. It's a sequel to his film, The Force Awakens. And it's just another reason why those movies sucked so badly. Time travel does give you a bit of flexibility, though. You can rectify mistakes of the past. So you could have Han Solo and Indiana Jones meet in an alternative universe. They both get in a time travel machine, go back in time, and prevent Disney from ever taking over both of the franchises. Thus preventing the Disney takeover from ever happening, or those sequels from ever being made. Time travel seems to be used now not as a tool for telling an interesting story in the sci-fi genre, but course-correcting previous plots that didn't work, or as a narrative tool to completely destroy and discredit the franchise's previous films, aka Terminator. You remember when remakes first started popping up? It used to be the, like the original film had to be out for like 30 years, 40 years, or so before it warranted a remake. As in the case of like Total Recall, that was like, what, 30 years, 25 years or something before that got remade? And now it's, then it used to be about 10 years. Now it seems it's two to three years and Hollywood is rebooting or remaking franchise films that didn't work. And that also tells you a big problem about Hollywood movies. Is it's either the writing sucks, the directing sucks, the producing's just lazy, or the studios just don't give a fuck. All they care about is money. They don't give a shit about producing a good story anymore or writing good characters or investing time and money into character development, a good plot, locations. Let's just come up with a basic formula-driven story, put the actors in front of a green screen and make it as cheaply as possible, pump it out in under two years, hopefully make our money back so we can make another one and pump that out in another two years. Or if everything goes, or everything goes up shit creek, let's just turn it into a TV show and make our money back that way. And that's the problem now, because time travel was an effective storytelling tool. Now it's not effective because the movies are such trash, and no one takes any of these movies seriously anymore. Hollywood is trying to be smart, but it's dumb and very lazy. With indie, it looks like this may be the case in The Dial of Destiny. It's a pretty loaded title. It could mean many things. It could mean a literal telephone dial. It could mean a time travel machine, some type of ancient dial that has some type of time traveling or time bending properties to it. It may not be the MacGuffin storyline after all, there may be 
something a bit more metaphysical. If you have a space element to it, that could be the case too. Maybe the Nazis got into space and opened some portal to a different universe and oh god, that's a kind of a frightening thought. If you have a alternative Indiana Jones and maybe that's Phoebe Waller Bridges who comes through to help the old Indiana Jones and she goes back to her world and makes the other Indiana Jones irrelevant and he disappears into the ether of time and takes over and has a Disney Plus TV show. The Dial of Destiny is also a pretty scary title. It could mean a lot of very terrifying plot points for the fate of Indiana Jones. And this is his Harrison's last Indiana Jones film that we know of. He deserves a good legacy for the years he's played Indiana Jones. I mean, he is Indiana Jones, as I keep reinstating. He's earned his legacy, and he's earned the right to ride off into the sunset any way he wants, without the intervention of Kathleen Kennedy or Disney. So it's a scary title. It could mean a number of things. It, yeah, it could be the physical device. It could be time travel. It could be, like I said, metaphysical. It could be a tear in the fabric of the space-time continuum. It could go all Doctor Who. Alternative universes, multiple Indiana Joneses in different forms. Oh, God, that's, it's, it's, it is a quite terrifying thought. You get a future Indiana Jones who... There's a lot of different paths that this story could take. And, you know, I don't envy the writers who had to come up with this idea because anyway, any arc... Or any story you come up for for the next for the final Indiana Jones film is going to piss somebody off. It's going to make some fan angry somewhere. The best you can hope for when you're writing a franchise film as beloved as Indiana Jones or Star Wars, especially one that takes place decades after the original or the last sequel, the best you can really hope for is to piss off the least amount of fans as possible. Really. The writing has to come down to the law of averages. What's the least number of fans you're going to piss off with whatever story you come up with? Because I guarantee you're not going to please everybody. It's impossible. There's always going to be someone that hates it. All you can do is limit how many people hate it and hope that a majority of indie fans love it. The more that I think about it, the more I think that this is a deliberate ploy by Disney. I think they want a time travel element in it so they can control the future of Indiana Jones. They want a time-bending storyline, if, if that is true. I might be completely wrong, and I hope I am. So they can control the indie narrative. They can also insert whatever political correctness or identity politics they want into it, because now they can literally manipulate the landscape of the story. They can make it as agenda-driven and as diverse as possible, and there's nothing much any of us can do about it. I also read in an interview with James Mangold that the anti-aging scenes we've seen of Indy so far and all the back-in-time stuff is going to take place in the opening of the film. That's according to Magna Gold and Kathleen Kennedy. I'm not sure James Mangold or Kathleen Kennedy's comments hold much weight. I don't have much faith in anything that these studios put out anymore. History has taught us that a lot of these comments made before a movie comes out, especially by the producers or director of the film is designed to really throw you off the scent. They know they've got a shit product at the end of the day. They know people are going to hate it. And if the truth comes out before the film opening, they're going to have a pretty unprofitable film. And Disney definitely needs a win with this one. They've lost a lot of money with Star Wars. 
and Disney keeps losing money. I've had two years of a pandemic where they haven't been able to release some of their bigger titles. They've had to release them on streaming services. They've also just put $2 billion into the four Avatar sequels. So they really need a win. So this could just be designed to throw people off the scent. So rather than rectify the problem or reshoot some of the film, they just release a substandard movie that's going to piss a lot of people off. And as soon as that movie comes out, the truth comes out. And yet they don't care. As soon as the reviews come out, and especially on social media, and the fans start speaking up about the film and voicing their opinions, the truth will come out. That's also the ignorance of some of the people who run these studios. They're run by an older generation that doesn't understand the power of the internet. Oh, the reviewers will love this film. It'll be in the papers. Everyone will read it and go to it, but no one really reads papers anymore. If this film sucks, it's only a matter of hours after it opens around the world before the entire planet knows about it. If it opens in America on the Friday, it opens in Australia on the Thursday, people in Australia or England will see it, post their opinions of it, Fans in the US and Canada, where the movie hasn't opened yet, already know that this film's a stinker and go in with this preconceived notion that, well, this movie isn't very good because half the planet doesn't like it. So there's probably a pretty good chance that we're not either. So it could just be rumors to throw us off. It could be rumors started by disgruntled fans, people who are in the movie business, people who worked on the film or got fired from Disney or whatever. Who knows? And so far, all the rumors surrounding the film look like they may be panning out. However, leaked the rumors about the story didn't do a very good job because it looks like the time travel arc might be correct. Now the titles come out, some of the other ideas don't seem that ridiculous. I read somewhere last year before anyone knew anything about the plot of Indy 5. It could either involve robots, time travel, dinosaurs, or aliens. And now it looks like the time travel plot kind of makes sense. Dinosaurs don't seem that ridiculous, neither do aliens. Well, I suppose you can't really do aliens because aliens were kind of in the last one. Robots would have been interesting. Maybe Indy goes to the future and fights Terminators. Or goes into the future and, I don't know, there's some type of robotic threat. Maybe you could go the ancient alien route. Like the last one, there's some type of ancient futuristic robots found in a pyramid or tomb or something they get activated when some device when some artifact is taken and they they come to get it something like that dinosaurs would have been cool or really anything i mean the world of archaeology has so many mysteries in it it's, it shouldn't really be that hard to pick a site or a location around the world come up with an artifact or a ancient city or something and go from there so I had to do a bit of digging to find out if this de-aging opening sequence had any weight to it. So on Empire Online, there's an article titled Indiana Jones 5's opening sequence de-ages Harrison 4 to original trilogy indie exclusive by Ben Travis. An Indiana Jones movie needs a killer opening sequence. The booby-trapped boulder-rolling tomb in Raiders of the Lost Ark which there also looks like there's a giant boulder sequence in Dial of Destiny, which seems a little bit repetitive. The Poison and Diamonds musical number of the Temple of Doom, which was which was a great opening to a film. I don't care what anyone says. 
with Harrison Ford in the white tuxedo. It's a bit of a nod to the Roger Moore, James Bond films. Except you don't have the pompous British spy, you have the American adventurer. Harrison was cool in that opening scene. He definitely looks better in a white tux than Roger Moore ever did. And that was an awesome way to open a Indiana Jones film, or any film for that matter. He punches waitresses in the face, he gets poisoned. There's a lot of stuff happening in it. It's timed perfectly, it's well choreographed. There's a little nod to Star Wars, Club Obi-Wan, and Dan Aykroyd makes a cameo. Then... The Easter Egg Laden, a River Phoenix starring flashback that begins The Last Crusade. The Atomic Bomb Test Site Scramble in The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Each represents a pure distillation of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas's love of adventure serials, pitching the audience, pitching the audience straight into the action and giving you a thrill before the story proper has even begun. Yeah, I love films that do that. They just drop you straight in the action and get to know the characters through the opening action sequence. Obviously the Bond films kind of set the bar for this. Pretty much that's how every Bond film starts with that little opening prologue. Then you get into the music, then you get straight into the story. It's a good way to kickstart the story rather than just bore the audience to death by introducing every character and every little subplot. When talking over the Reigns of Indiana Jones 5, incoming director James Mangold not only had a high bar to live up to, but the opportunity to do something particularly special in the opening minutes. And here we go. This is a quote from Mr. Mangold. I wanted the chance to dive into this kind of full-on George and Stephen old picture and give the audience an adrenaline blast, Mangold tells Empire, in our world-exclusive Indiana Jones 5 issue, which I did try to find a physical copy of that, but it was hard to find. It's not available at my local newsagent and hasn't been since early last year. The solution, question mark, a set piece that dials back the clock to 1944. So maybe, does this refer to the Dial of Destiny? Maybe there's some thing in the past that has to do with the future. Maybe he has to like relive his memories or something to try and find out some random piece of information maybe the location of the dial of destiny by going back through his memories from 1944 maybe this is some type of nasa experiment who knows set in a castle swarming with nazis through the miracle of de-aging technology we're going back towards raider era we're going back towards raiders era indie technically if it was 1944 you'd be closer to the last crusade indie and then we fall out and you find yourself in 1969. Mangold explains of the transition to the main action of the film. So that the audience doesn't experience a change between the 40s and 60s as an intellectual conceit, but literally experiences the buccaneering spirit of those early days and then the beginning of now. He kind of knew that the de-aging thing was going to play a part in this film, I hope it is just the start. I hope it is literally the opening scene and then the rest of it is Indiana Jones in the present, aka older Indy. I think it would have been very continuity destroying if they were to start off as old Indy. Then if they do the time travel story and he goes back in time to the younger self and that's the majority of the movie and then you have older Indy right at the end, I think that would suck a lot. It would take you out of the action. 
you'd be starting off in 69, going back to 44, then going back to 69. I think it'd be stupid and disrespectful to Harrison and the character of Indiana Jones. But you know what? I might be wrong, and that's my how the that's my how the movie turns out. I hope to God that's not the case. I think having the opening in 1944 is probably the right way to go about it. That makes a lot more sense. It does sound kind of cool, actually. And if it is just the opening of the opening of the film, and the rest of it is in set in the 60s, I think that would be the way to do it. And in a way, it would be pretty cool to have that last hurrah as young indie or younger indie before going into the final instalment of Indiana Jones with an older Indiana Jones riding off into the sunset. That would be a hell of a lot better send-off than continually jumping in and out of timelines from 1940 to 1960. Several techniques were employed to pull the sequence off, including the new ILM software that trawled through archival material of the younger Harrison Ford before matching it to the freshly shot footage. Interesting. Be interested to know how that software works. The original Raiders jacket was even pulled out of storage, possibly from the sprawling Area 51 warehouse, and tried back on by Ford before being replicated thread for thread. My hope is that, although it will be talked about in terms of technology, you just watch it and go, oh my god, they just found footage. This was a thing they shot 40 years ago, says producer Kathleen Kennedy. I'm sure if she says it, it's probably 100% untrue. We're dropping you into the adventure, something Indy is looking for, and instantly you have that feeling, I'm in an Indiana Jones movie. Well, if I paid to see an Indiana Jones movie, I would assume that I'm at an Indiana Jones movie. And once again, like I was saying, does a Indiana Jones movie have to specifically have a younger Indiana Jones in it? Why can't you have an older Indiana Jones going on an adventure? It's still an Indiana Jones film. Making Bond films in different decades and switching the actors around hasn't really stopped it from being a Bond film, is it? A little different. James Bond could just be a code name and number and not a person. Also a problem with that statement. The Raiders jacket is not the one we last see Indiana Jones in. It is the Last Crusade jacket. But you might be saying no, they, they all look the same, it's just a brown leather jacket. Which I'll explain shortly after I finish the article. For its star coming face to face with his younger self even had him convinced. This is the first time I have seen it where I believe it, Ford tells Empire. It's a little spooky. I don't think I even want to know how it works, but it works. Not that he's planning to return to the time of the original indie movies, but then again, I suppose this technology does allow you to return to the younger indie, despite what I previously said. Whether it's played by Harrison Ford or not, I think you'd have to have it played by Indiana. You'd have to have Indiana Jones played by Harrison Ford. You can get maybe you could put his face in a different actor's body, but that's hedonism. I don't want to even think like that. I'd still say it has to be played by Harrison Ford, and then you could digitally render the face over the top. It doesn't make me want to be young, though, he says. I'm glad to have earned my age, or as a, or as a certain adventuring archaeologist once put it, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Yeah, it's a good statement. I think he has, Harrison Ford has earned his age, and so has Indiana Jones. And I think a lot of fans need to be a bit more appreciative that Indiana Jones has earned his age. He deserves to ride off into the sunset. If Indiana Jones wants to go on one final adventure, you let him. And that seems like a pretty good place to end on. We'll pick that up in the next episode.
in Indiana Jones 5, The Dial of Disney, Part 2. And with that, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you very much to everyone who listened right to the end. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 2023 hasn't got off to the best of starts so far, so we can only hope that the rest of the year isn't going to be like 2022. But 2022 is in the rear view, so onwards and upwards, friends. Only positive vibes from here on out. Got some big episodes planned for 2023. Next up is Indy 5 Part 2, followed by Avatar The Way of Water Review, and the technical and behind-the-scenes aspects of the original Avatar, as well as its legacy. After that is a long-awaited sequel to Russia vs. Ukraine. We'll be looking at communism in Russia and the rise of the Soviet Union, starting in the 1900s, going all the way down to the present day. And after that, we're going to move on to the fun stuff and get into the paranormal and supernatural. I'll give you a hint at what's in store on those episodes. One of them is going to involve a spooky mountain, and the other involves an infamous UFO sighting, a mass UFO sighting. There's much more to come in 2023. That's just a little taste of what's in store, so I hope you all stick around for that. All right, once again... A big thank you to everyone who listened to the end of the episode. If you'd like to support The Truth Tank, there's a couple of things you can do. Rate, review, and subscribe to The Truth Tank on your favorite podcast player. I'd appreciate some reviews if you can spare the time. The reviews help the show grow and get noticed. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell people you work with, anyone who you think might like the show. Help spread the word and get The Truth Tank out there. Follow and like the Facebook page for all the latest updates on the show as well as weekly articles handpicked by yours truly that I think might bring some knowledge or shed some light on subjects that aren't always reported on in the mass media. Check out the new Truth Tank Instagram page, follow and share it around. The next episode should be out in a couple of weeks. I'm working as hard as I can to get episodes produced as quickly as possible. As I mentioned before, they are very labor and time intensive. The research takes a long time to get done. And I don't want to release a substandard episode that hasn't been fully researched. I'm a bit obsessed with details, as you can probably tell by now. So I am looking to have more episodes out in 2023. The next episode should be released in a couple of weeks, so definitely stay tuned for that. Until next time, I'm The Tank. This is The Truth. May the truth be with you. Oh, <laughs> oh,